Vision Christian Radio bumper stickers are a practical way to show the world how much you love vision. New stickers are available now. Choose the I Love Vision sticker or your local frequency and proudly display your affiliation with Australia's national Christian radio network. It's more than just a sticker, it's a statement and might help someone you'll never meet discover vision and start looking to God daily. Whether you're parked or cruising through town, vision bumper stickers will turn heads and spark conversations. Stick it, show it, and let everyone know you're tuned to vision. Available now at vision.org.au slash stickers. Order your vision bumper sticker today. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Andrew McCall joining us for his take today on biblical foundations for resolving conflict and how they might work with the very complex situation that we're now seeing in the Middle East. This sounds like an impossibility, but we're not afraid to get into this conversation today. That one is just ahead. We're 90 minutes away from checking in with an update on progress of churches working together. We're checking in with Ian Shelton today from Movement Australia on how things are developing. Then on Faith and the Future with Dr. Camille Majdali, our series is on the book of Genesis, and today we're focused on the Tower of Babel. Engaging conversations ahead on this Thursday edition of 2020. Well, peaceful resolution of the war in the Middle East looks almost an impossibility. We might all be grappling with how to balance what is a right outcome with what might be an impossible circumstance and where we might think there is some possibility of peaceful resolution. Well, it's not even an even contest, is it? Israel aspiring to play by the rules of a just war, but Hamas on the other side obeying a different set of rules inspired by Sharia law bent on the eradication of Israel. A reason may not be a part of any sort of negotiation. So a conversation today looking for biblical wisdom that we might apply to both sides of the Middle East war. Andrew McColl is Family Voice Australia State Director for the state of Queensland. He's back with us. Hey, Andrew, welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil, and and a good Good morning to our listeners this morning. And we are in the deep end here. This is not an easy conversation to get into because uh, we are looking for some sort of ways that you might look for uh, levels of peaceful resolution or ultimate resolution. Where do we start with this sort of thing, Andrew? Well, I think we find that uh, managing conflicts, Neil, can always be a challenge. And we're talking here about individuals, about communities, about nations, And what we think we know is that wise people want to find just and principled ways to move ahead with life that respect other individuals or nations. And when things are done that are confronting or at least challenging, what do we do? Well, the Bible gives us some great advice in this in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, when it says that keeping away from strife is an honour for a man but any fool will quarrel. So we see that that's just a general principle of human behaviour 
how we deal with things. And we come across this passage in Genesis in chapter 26, verses 12 to 26, where Isaac was faced with conflict with the Philistines. How could he avoid bloodshed? He had no police force to appeal to, no army to protect him, but he was obliged to protect his large household. He didn't own the land he was on, so he packed up and moved away, retaining his business interests with hundreds of people. Doing that, he avoided bloodshed. It was better to move away than risk war, the loss of life and possibly everything. Now, is that always possible? No, it is not. But we want to find solutions to conflicts if we can. We want to avoid doing something precipitous that we might painfully regret and so might future generations. And some are saying, well, the future of the world depends on how this conflict uh, comes to an ultimate end. And uh, taking down Hamas is the goal of Israel. And, of course, the war is not with the Palestinians, but with the terror organisation Hamas. Uh, Let's talk through uh, some thoughts that you've got. Say, uh, two possible future precedents. Uh, What are your thoughts here? Well, I think there are two possible future precedents, Neil. And the first precedent we can look at is going back to the start of the First World War. It isn't a very happy precedent, but we should explore it and at least try and understand. Uh, What we know is that in 1914, the nations of Europe were divided up into two alliances, small nations linked with bigger nations for defensive, protective purposes. In principle, this isn't wrong. Today, there are again alliances in the Middle East. But what if this emboldens smaller nations as it did in 1914 to leverage their small, big relationship? What if they claim moral ascendancy to do really stupid, provocative things that create a dangerous drama? Then as the drama escalates, they press their big friend or friends to help them. Didn't you say you'd help if we were in trouble? And this is what the Australian historian Christopher Clark spoke of in his book, The Sleepwalkers, how Europe went to war in 1914. So in 1914, the Germans supported the Austrians and the Russians, the Serbs. This led to World War I a completely unnecessary conflict. And what's the lesson from that? Well, bigger allies with lots of firepower need to be careful what their smaller allies are doing. Will that happen today? Now, the second precedent I'd like to think may be applicable is the one from 1962, when there was an international crisis when the U.S. discovered that Russia had placed missiles in Cuba, only 145 kilometres from Florida. This looked very dangerous, but the crisis was averted when after 13 days, President Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev of Russia negotiated a settlement over the phone. The missiles were removed from Cuba 
and the Americans agreed to remove their missiles from Turkey. The difference between those two precedents was, in my opinion, that in 1962, the protagonists wanted to resolve the problem without going to war. And here we are looking at the Middle East now, and uh, very doubtful, I might say, that uh, that Hamas and Israel are going to pick up the phone uh, to try and resolve the problem. I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, uh, you've got the Israeli Prime Minister who says this is a time for war and uh, invoking even uh, that Old Testament idea of seasons, and this is a season for war. But uh, what's in your thoughts here, Andrew, so far as what's happened in the Middle East so far, uh, as we you know, think about how godly precedence and godly wisdom could be applied? Well, what we do know about the Middle East, Neil, is that there is a lot of anger and resentment going back over numbers of generations. Even worse, there is little desire for negotiations. Recently, there's been lots of vengeance-motivated bloodshed. Tit-for-tat, we call it. Tit-for-tat killings. And civilians are considered expendable on both sides. Does the Bible speak of this? Yes. God specifically forbids the taking of vengeance. He said... Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, in the 1959 film, Ben-Hur, a great movie, and many of us would have seen that at some point, there is a discussion between Balthazar and Judah Ben-Hur about this business of seeking revenge. Judah says, I must deal with Masala in my own way. And Belshazzar says, and your way is to kill him. I see this terrible thing in your eyes, Judah Ben-Hur, but no matter what this man has done to you, you have no right to take his life. He will be punished inevitably. What we know as a consequence, is that conflicts in life are inevitable. But forgiveness for wrongs done to us is optional. This Middle Eastern conflict has a great capacity to escalate without a major change of attitude amongst the protagonists. Forgiveness is a desperately needed commodity. But how can one negotiate with people they can't even forgive. Now, I came across just this morning, Neil, a couple of quotes from two previous Israeli leaders who were honest enough to acknowledge what had taken place in their nation, Golda Meir and General Moshe Dayan. Dayan wrote in May 1956, after some Israeli people had been murdered, let us not condemn the murderers. What do we know of their fierce hatred for us? For eight years, they've been living in the refugee camps of Gaza, while right before their eyes, 
we have been turning the land and the villages in which they and their forefathers lived into our land. Now, the legacy of this over generations is painfully evident today with international and long-lasting implications. Having the capacity to say of those who have wronged us, I forgive you, is not only the mark of a mature person, it removes my capacity to hold onto bitterness and ongoing resentment and hostility to that person. Then perhaps we can deal with the differences because unforgiveness is like an acid in the heart that no person should ever live or die with. But if the goal is vengeance, anything's possible, even genocide. In fact, it becomes likely. Of course, on the Israel side, they would say it's not vengeance or it's not retaliation, but it is a move to liberate um, the people of Israel from the aggressor Hamas and to liberate the Palestinian people from the oversight, um, the dictatorship of Hamas. Hey, what are your thoughts, Andrew, around you know the progress as we might be seeing it unfolding on our news services right now, seeing the images, uh, hearing the stories and recognising this propaganda that uh, is trying to win the hearts and minds of people. Uh, what are your thoughts on the progress? What's it look like to you? Well, I think it's fair to say that what we're seeing is that there's national anger and resentment over injustice. And that's all already led to military action that only strengthens the determination to take vengeance and right the wrongs, so-called right the wrongs. This leads to an unwillingness to, to consider the cost of conflict, a refusal to negotiate on both sides, and a sense of inevitability about where this will head. Then, and we're thinking about 1914, the bigger, militarily powerful allies are calling for help. And then finally, a massive Middle East war erupts, which has the potential to go nuclear. Well, you've got Iran, who is the backer of Hamas. You might say that's the big brother. You've got Israel, and uh, you might say uh, the United States uh, there with uh, you know warships uh, sitting there in the Mediterranean Sea. You might say that both sides have their uh, big brother uh, allies at hand, uh, and and you're suggesting here that you know this not ought not to be out of our thinking, the possibility of this erupting into another world war, uh, the potential to go nuclear. All of those things can't be out of your thinking, can they? Well, we, we can't afford to, to discard that, Neil, because we've got these powerful feelings of anger and resentment spilling over. We've also got Turkey, not very far away either, who would, who would be... And both Turkey and Iran have well-equipped and powerful armies not far away, and they would be quite prepared to jump in here. We've also got Hezbollah uh, as well, so starting the process. So, so it's, it's not looking good 
uh, humanly speaking. And that's that's pretty scary. And that's this is, in my opinion, is one of the worst uh, possibilities we've had for another massive um, conflict since the Second World War. And it's it's not going away. I said it has all the potential to escalate. Let's come back to biblical foundations for resolving conflict. How do we look at these sorts of things? And sometimes we think uh, there are some things that might apply just to an individual, but then to really bring them into a bigger picture about how they might affect a nation. How do you come back to a biblical understanding of what might need to happen, even though it looks maybe potentially impossible for resolution at this time. But what do you see as, as one of those biblical principles that really needs to uh, be uh, injected into a circumstance like this for any sort of good outcome to happen? Well, from the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness in this context is huge. I can recall, Neil, uh, uh, probably 30 years ago, seeing, seeing the Queen driving through Dresden. Because uh, I think it was Dresden, and Dresden was, was very heavily bombed in the Second World War. And the Germans came out to watch, and they were not happy. And they chanted in German, no forgiveness, no forgiveness, no forgiveness to the Queen. That's a big call. Now, we don't have much capacity to deal with the painfully evident Middle Eastern problems, but we do have the capacity and obligation to deal with our own hearts, and that's always a good place to start. Along with that, we can pray for a just, successful and peaceful Middle Eastern outcome. And that would indeed be a miracle. And as you say, forgiveness, and even quoting those words of Jesus, and it might be a reminder to all of us, uh, those words of Jesus are the words of a Jewish Jesus, and not just something uh, disconnected as a Christian Jesus. Of course, Jesus is uh, a Jew. And so when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Uh, He's talking about uh, the sins of all humanity and those things might comfortably be applied also into the circumstance in the Middle East and even as asymmetric as it might be and even as Hamas and the supporters of Hamas might not appreciate at all the thought of the Judeo-Christian forgiveness, uh, that might be the impediment for uh, any sort of quick outcome here. Uh, But Andrew McColl, Uh, Always appreciate your insights and no doubt uh, there's fuel in the conversation today for much more conversation around how you might look at resolution from a Christian foundation. So I want to thank you for your insights today and I want to link listeners with Family Voice Australia. The Family Voice website is familyvoice.org.au familyvoice.org.au Andrew McColl is Family Voice Australia State Director for the State of Queensland. Andrew, thanks so much for your update once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au